Welcome to The Girls, a podcast based on the novel Sadie by Courtney Summers. I can't find Sadie, let alone help her if I don't have all the information. And I have to be able to trust you as I move forward with this. We can take it off the record if that helps. Do you want to do that? Yes, please. Okay, then that's what we'll do. The day Maddie disappeared started like any other. Maybeth remembers it vividly. She dreams of it every night. She came by that morning. I have a rule. It's not decent to bother a person before nine. So Maddie's favorite thing, if she was up and around before then, was to come pounding on my door at 9.01, fling it open and shout, Good morning! into my trailer. Shout it right in my face, really, because the door opens up to my kitchen. (laughs) So that's what she did. She flung the door wide, I was at the table having my coffee, and she screamed, Good morning, Maybeth! And I wanted to throttle her because I loved her that much. But I just smiled at her and I asked her, Where are you off to today, Mats? Like I always did. And she said, Everywhere. Like she always did. I told her to figure things out with her sister and stay out of trouble in the meantime. Maddie and Sadie had been fighting that week. It was about Claire, of course. Maddie wanted to go to L.A., but she knew they didn't have the money, so whenever she'd pick a fight about it, deep down she understood, or at least I think she understood, that it was impossible. Maddie would have her moment, let it die a while, then have another. But somehow, she'd found out Sadie had been squirreling away cash in case of an emergency, If they didn't end up needing it, Sadie told me Maddie would take it to college. Now that Maddie knew about this money, she decided that meant they could hop a plane to L.A. and look for Claire. Of course, Sadie told her that wasn't happening. I had them over for an early dinner that afternoon, and they weren't talking. It was awful. Usually, Sadie would try to smooth things over, but not this time. When I asked her about it afterward, she said, and I'll never forget it, she said, I don't think I'll ever be enough for Maddie. Maddie was never content with just having her sister. Sadie worked the gas station that night. Sadie might not have been the most forthcoming girl, but it was clear she was upset about something. Find out later, it was that fight. The fight was brought to the Abernathy Police Department's attention by Sadie herself, but played no significant part in their investigation into Maddie's murder. It's just another layer of tragedy in a story that's already seen more than its fair share. It was a long shift, I remember. Sadie said she'd really needed the money, so I gave her a few more hours. She clocked off pretty late, and... She came back to my place. She didn't do that all the time, only when she was real worn out and maybe... maybe looking for a bit of mothering. I was glad to do it, because the opportunity didn't come along too often with Sadie. Anyway, she fell asleep on my couch and she looked so peaceful, I didn't want to wake her. I should have. I can't help but wonder what might have happened if I had. Maybe she and Maddie would have crossed paths before Maddie ever got in that truck. Because that's the thing. No matter what happened between them, Sadie always checked in on Maddie for whatever she might need. She always had a meal on the table or in the fridge ready to heat up. No matter how frustrated Sadie got with her sister... She never stopped looking after her. But that night I wouldn't let her. I didn't wake her up. 
I thought it would be good for Maddie, for Maddie to stand back and notice that absence, to realize how much Sadie did for her even if Maddie thought Sadie didn't get it right enough of the time. So I texted Maddie and I let her know Sadie was with me and she wasn't going to be home. Maddie never got it. She'd left her phone in the trailer. Sadie discovered this when the next day she sent a string of frantic texts to her little sister demanding to know where she was. They read as follows. Sorry, Maddie. Fell asleep. Where are you? I didn't do it to be a bitch, I promise. I'm freaking out. Just tell me where you are. Don't do this to me. I'll never forget it. Sadie came back to my place and told me Maddie was gone. I said, I'm sure she's somewhere around town, just being a little bitch about it. That's exactly what I said. I've never forgiven myself. And Sadie just looked at me and said, this feels different. She was right. I don't need to paint you a picture of what this retelling does to Maybeth because you can hear the utter agony in her voice. Still, I want you to know she sits across from me at her table the entire time, her gaze fixed on something I can't see, her hands twisting the tablecloth. She's not shying from her hurt, and it's a true privilege that she'd share it with me. But her desperate attempt to control it tells me the pain I'm witness to is barely scratching the surface. I don't know how she survives it, frankly. She doesn't seem to either. It's killing me a little more every day. And if that's what it's doing to me, you can't imagine what it did to Sadie. She became a shell of who she used to be. I lost her a little more each day. It's understandable, then, that Maybeth wants to protect Sadie from further hurt. She's so afraid of the information she's been keeping from me, she makes me fly back to Cold Creek just to get it. It's not that she doesn't trust me, she says, but she'd feel better saying it to my face. When I get there, I turn the microphone off, and she tells me what she knows. Five days later, I have a new lead, and once she's been reassured that what she's told me won't cause any kind of problems for Sadie should we find her, Maybeth agrees to tell me again for the podcast. Once I say it, everyone's going to understand why I don't think much of the Farfield Police Department. Because if they were as thorough as they claim they were, if they did everything in their power to figure out what happened to Sadie, they would have found this, and they would have followed through on it. It was under the passenger seat of her car. It's a credit card. Sadie didn't have any credit cards when she lived in Cold Creek. And this one doesn't belong to her. It belongs to a woman named Cat Mather. She's an easy enough person to track down. Cat Mather lives in Topeka, Kansas. She was once a missing girl. The first thing I find when I Google her name are desperate public Facebook posts from her maternal aunt, Sally Quinn, asking after her niece's whereabouts. Those posts are nearly two years old. Shortly after she put them up, Sally informs her friends to cease all searching. Kat has essentially divorced herself from her family and wants nothing to do with anyone, and that's that. She's just a runaway. Cat, in a lot of ways, is what I expected Sadie to be. Restless, reckless, dramatic. Her own Facebook profile is full of pictures with her tongue sticking out, her hair dyed bright, bold colors. She's often wearing shirts with the Anarchy logo on them. At least, she was then. 
That was when she was around to share status updates with not-so-subtle allusions to personal unhappiness. Fuck this family, one says. Stop the planet, I want off, says another. She was gone not long after that last one and spent the next two years moving from place to place until just a few months ago when she got caught behind the wheel of a stolen car. Now she's living with Sally and awaiting her court date. At first, Kat doesn't want anything to do with me. Her privacy is important to her and she wasn't thrilled with the idea of her criminal history being shared with the world. When I explained to Kat about Sadie and how we found Kat's credit card in her car, she's more willing to talk. Yeah, I was with her. Just for a little while. She gave me a ride. She scared me, kind of. I don't know. This is what Kat Mather looks like now. She's a white, 23-year-old woman with a plain, unassuming face that almost belies the actions that have gotten her into this mess. Her aunt, Sally, greets me at the front door. Sally is a friendly, middle-aged brunette who gives me a brief primer on the Mather family on our short trip to the living room where her niece awaits. She's my sister's daughter. They've been estranged for a long time. Family problems. It's terrible. Kat disappeared when she was 19. I've been hoping this whole unpleasantness would help them reconcile somehow. But it hasn't happened. Maybe it will, though. I really hope it does, because Kat's father... Hey, Sal. Maybe leave something for me to talk about? (laughs) Anyway, here she is. Good luck. As soon as Sally's gone, Kat quickly makes one thing clear. We're here to talk about Sadie, and that's all. Got it? Fair enough. One thing that stood out to me when I got a hold of you was when I asked if you knew Sadie, you said yes right away. She's been giving other people an alias, but she was up front with you when you met. She told you her real name. What name was she giving people? Lyra. How did she end up with your credit card? It was in my bag. I had it for emergencies, but I preferred dealing with cash. I must have dropped it when I was with her. She didn't use it. She wouldn't have been able to. I realized pretty quick it was gone. Canceled it. Tell me about how you two met. We were both leaving this place, Montgomery, at the same time. I was hitching, and she picked me up. Do you know what she was doing in Montgomery? Nope. Montgomery is a postcard town. Actually, it's a city, but that's what Danny likes to call a particular kind of place. You know, the kinds that make you wish you were there. Remember when I said Cold Creek wasn't the dream Americans aspired to? Well, Montgomery is. It's a beautiful, picturesque college town with a thriving economy driven in large part by its student population and the wealthy baby boomers who want to live out their retirement basking in the glow of the young. If you haven't been, you simply must. If it's too far out of your way, check out the movies Love the One You're With, A Fine Autumn Day, and Our Last Dance. They were filmed there. She wanted to get out of there. I could tell because I did too. Places like that, places that look so nice, they don't seem real. The worst shit you can imagine happens in them. And I'm not wrong. You've seen the news? Recently, Montgomery has been devastated by a grotesque scandal involving one of the pillars of its community. 
Silas Baker is, or at least he was, a well-regarded local businessman who played a part in Montgomery's economic success. He invested in the legalized recreational marijuana boom, made a fortune, and then reinvested back into his home city. He owns a few department stores, a local bar, Cooper's, the grocers, and has a financial stake in several other popular businesses within the city. For this, he was awarded Montgomery's Good Citizenship Award six years ago. A few months ago, he was arrested for sexually abusing the young children he's coached in t-ball over the last seven years. They ranged in age from five to eight years old. I think she felt sorry for me because it was raining like you wouldn't believe. I could barely see two feet in front of my face, and I was soaked clean through. She sort of slowed as she passed me. Then she pulled over. It was a black car, a Chevy, I think. Yeah, that's what she was driving. Anyway, she asked me if I was a psycho, and I asked her if she was one, and once we got that out of the way, I got in the car. She had this stutter. She was kind of messed up. Not because of the stutter, though. That, that's not what I mean. What do you mean? She looked like someone clocked her in the face. Her nose was swollen, bit of a black eye, scraped chin. I think it must have happened that day, because it just got worse looking the longer I was with her. Did she tell you what happened? She said she fell, but that was clearly bullshit. So you guys talked? Well, yeah. It's awkward enough getting in a car with a stranger. You have to fill the silence somehow. She said she was on a road trip, and she was picking up her little sister to go with her. Her sister Maddie, who had been murdered eight months earlier. And if I'd known that, maybe I wouldn't have gotten in the car, because that does sound kind of psycho to me. Not that I stuck around with her that long in the end, anyway. What did she say about Maddie? Just, she told me they were sisters and that she was the oldest. And Maddie was a pain in the ass, and that was about it. I could tell talking about it upset her, though. It made me think they were estranged and trying to make up. I never once guessed the kid was dead, though. She was talking like Maddie was alive? That's what Kat told me. Are you sure? That's what this girl said? That Sadie was talking about Maddie like she was alive? Did she mean it? Did Sadie actually believe that? Maybe, maybe not. It could have been something she was telling everyone. Not everyone shares their life story with strangers, Maybeth. But what if that's what she believes? We were driving, and the weather kept getting worse, and then we spun out. You spun out? We had some rain, and the car ended up in the middle of the road. We were fine, but the weather wasn't getting better, so we decided to pull over until it cleared up, and uh, she couldn't keep her eyes open after that. Like, it was almost instantaneous. Wham! Hit her! I thought maybe she was on drugs or something. Okay, so you said she looked like she got punched in the face. She loses control of the car, then she couldn't keep her eyes open. It didn't cross your mind she might have been injured? Concussed? No, it didn't. I just... I thought she was on drugs. Soon as she passed out, I started looking around the car to be sure, you know... For drugs? Yeah, I was looking for drugs. I wanted to know what I was maybe getting myself into. 
Don't look at me like that. I'm not looking at you like anything, Kat. I wasn't going to steal from her, okay? I've hitched a lot. You have to be prepared for anything. You just have to. Once, I ended up with this guy. I got these vibes. He made a stop, and I looked through his car, and I found a rope and a screwdriver under his seat. And I shit you not, that screwdriver looked like it had dried blood on it. I can't tell what a person's about when I get in their car, but if I have a chance to find out, I'll take it. What did you find? She had a shirt, and it was fucking covered in blood. It was stuffed in the back seat. There was also a switchblade on the floor. It must have been forced out from under the front seat when we spun out. Are you sure what you saw on that shirt was blood? I know what blood looks like. It was just... It might have been hers. It might have been someone else's. But the knife, too? She had it stashed, like she was hiding it was the thing. So I started thinking I was in trouble. You didn't ask her about it? That's a really stupid question. It was... She seemed really nice, you know? I didn't get vibes from her like I did that guy. But that shirt... If you'd seen it, you'd get it. It was completely covered in blood. I stayed in the car, thinking I should leave the whole time. Like I just went back and forth over and over until she finally woke up. That was about an hour from when she fell asleep. Then I drove with her until we hit a gas station. I was headed for this town called Marquette, still a ways off, but I couldn't... Even if she was nice... I couldn't risk not knowing for sure, so I ditched her at the gas station. I felt a little bad about it, but you gotta do what you gotta do to stay alive. Is it too much to hope you know where she was headed? Actually, yeah, I do. She needed me to look up directions on my phone. I wrote them down for her, and I never got it out of my head. She's looking for her father. Right. And I have two separate witness accounts who say she had a switchblade. Caddy said Sadie threatened him with it. Cat found it in her car. You mentioned she was hurt. Yeah, she got hurt in Montgomery. So what happened there? What is it about her father that's taking her to these places? And why is she arming herself? And how'd she end up with what sounds like a broken nose and a black eye? There was something about meeting Kat. What? It was hard to articulate to Danny what I was feeling at the time. I couldn't stop thinking about Kat. That if I had been looking for her, if her aunt had tracked me down for help, that's where the story would have ended. Sitting across from her in a living room with her refusing to talk. But it wouldn't have ended there, not really, because it was also Kat, ending up in cars with strange men and bloody screwdrivers, all to get away from whatever was haunting her at home. And then there's Sadie in her car, her own face bruised and battered. It all suddenly and belatedly felt too real. The things these girls had gone through, what can happen to missing girls? I didn't like that, but I couldn't say it out loud to him then. I changed the subject instead. Never mind. Okay, so I know she didn't stay in Montgomery, and I know where she ended up. Where do you think I should head first? Montgomery or Langford? Hang on, I got another call. Hello? 
Claire's back. This has been an episode of The Girls, a podcast based on the novel Sadie by Courtney Summers. This program was produced and directed by Maddie Argeropoulos. Sound design and post-production by Tim Franklin. Performed by Dan Bittner, Gabber Zachman, Robert Allen, Marisa Collin, Kristen Green, and Fred Berman. Special thanks to Ari Fliakos and Tom Meese. Sadie is available as a book, ebook, and audiobook. Click the link in the show notes to get your copy. And stay tuned for next week's bonus episode of The Girls with author Courtney Summers. <laughs>